Hello, hello, wonderful people in podcast land. Um, just dropping to say hi. Welcome to the podcast once again. I really do appreciate uh, all the people that listen along, whether you're part of our church community or you're listening from afar. I do pray that these um, these talks and these podcasts do help you as you follow Jesus, wherever you find yourself. Today was Vision Sunday. Um, and we launched our vision series, an important um kind of event and milestone in the life of our church and I'm talking to you right now because about three quarters of the way through my talk this morning our sound desk um, decided to absolutely implode and so had to reboot and so there is a bit of audio missing. Uh, In that moment I was talking about our Sunday gatherings and um, multiplying, adding another Sunday gathering in the morning Um, and so you sort of miss out on a little bit of that but um, I'm sure you'll be okay, you can catch up later on. Um, so yeah, three quarters of the way through, you'll find some weird audio. I'm sure you'll get over it. Uh, but I hope that this helps you. Uh, peace to you, my friend. Here we go. Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Who are the people in the room, show of hands, who use an alarm clock in the morning, like some sort of alarm on your phone? Yeah. So you, oh wow, you must get up early, Jalen. I was thinking there's two types of people in the world, those who have an alarm clock and those who have young kids. And um, Feb... 2022, last year, uh, my morning ritual, I get woken up by my alarm clock, a little tiny human who's riding a trike at the moment. Um, He's a good alarm clock. He wakes me up and the same thing happens every morning. We get up, we make breakfast together, we make coffee together, we bring it into Mel, breakfast in bed every morning. You can can hold hold the applause, hold the applause, no, no. And... um, then I'll get back into bed with my coffee. This is the same thing that happens every morning. And uh, it triggers a habit for me to pick up my phone and to read the Bible plan that we've been reading together as a church family. And I know this particular date because I went back and looked. There was this verse that has been with me ever since. That's been haunting me in many ways. That's a verse we're going to look at this morning. Mark chapter 11, verse 15 to 17. It says this, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, this is Jesus, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. This is a pretty intense story. We often think about Jesus with those oil paintings, and he's like carrying a lamb, and he's like white, and he's got long flowing hair, and you know, the blue sash. We don't often picture him as like literally pushing people off chairs and flipping tables and driving people out of the temple. It's a pretty intense scene. And the reason that this verse has haunted me is because I think if I got 100 people 
and I surveyed them, and I got them to write out what they thought about Greenhouse, you know, to, to say some phrases, some things that they thought about our church, the church that I planted and was involved with a bunch of people in planting. I think they would say a lot of things. They'd maybe talk about Long Jetty, they'd maybe talk about community, maybe talk about the clam, maybe talk about restoration corridor, maybe talk about practices and following Jesus. But I would hazard a guess that not many people, if any, would put house of prayer on that list. And I think what it means is that I owe you an apology. Because the church was never meant to be just a community group. The church is never meant to be a not-for-profit that does good in the neighborhood. The church was never meant to just be a building. The church was never meant to just be, you know, a place to share ideas, you know, Christian budget TED Talks. The church is meant to be about the presence of God. A church was meant to be a people of prayer, and prayer is a spiritual heart of the spiritual life. And now we are at a time in history in the West, if you haven't noticed, that church is in decline. Christianity in Australia is in decline. You've probably felt this when you realize you go to work and you're the only one who's a Christian or no one else in your family follows Jesus. The church is declining. The church is dying in the West. Over the last census period, the only denomination to grow in Australia was actually our denomination, the Baptist denomination, but still not enough to keep pace with population growth. And I would imagine most of that growth is just people jumping ship from other denominations. You know, we are declining in the West. And we're getting to the point in history in the West that great strategy or good branding, or a great social media presence, or a cool building, or a charismatic leader just doesn't cut it anymore. It doesn't cut it. Since 2011, the number of churches in Australia has declined by 1,000. So the last 10 years, 1,000 churches have closed their doors. Or more than that, because we planted some. But we are shrinking. The church is dying in the West. Welcome to Vision Sunday, everyone. It's good to have you here. The thing is... The church is dying in the West, but the church globally is actually exploding. The, uh, there's a bunch of data out there, but um, there's a bunch of research that tells us that the world is actually becoming more religious, not less, more spiritual, not less. In fact, um, there are fewer atheists, who, people who identify as atheists around the world today than they were in 1970. The atheist population is declining. In 1910... There were 600 million Christians in the world. 2020, 2.4 billion. That's a big growth. 1.1 billion Christians are alive today in Asia and Africa alone. And the church is exploding in places like China and Russia and Iran. And I wonder what they can teach us in the West when we're relying on our cool buildings and our great Instagram pages. I wonder what they can teach us. I wonder what we can learn from them. I know what we can't learn. We can't learn that we just need better marketing or PR. But we need to radically become a people of prayer. That's what the global church teaches us. 
J. Edwin Orr, who was a, um, a revivalist in the last century, he said, whenever God is ready to do a new thing, he sets his people to pray. Whenever God is ready to do a new thing, he sets his people to, to pray. We see this over and over again in church history, that whenever the, the church was in decline, we, we sort of think that like the church had its peak and then it was slowly declining. But if you actually look at church attendance and people who call themselves Christians, it sort of goes up and down, up and down, up and down. And you can, you can follow the pattern and every time the church is declining, and you can trace back this upward tick to a group of people that dedicated themselves to pray. Almost 100% of the time. Whenever God is ready to do something new, he calls his people to pray. And I just might be crazy enough. You know, this day and age, a pastor isn't looking like a good job. You know, there's not much job security doesn't seem like it's an you know, increasing industry, it's a declining industry, it's a dying industry. But I just might be crazy enough to think that we are here to do more than just manage the decline of Christianity in Australia. That we're more than just, we're just here to just kind of thrive off people leaving other churches and coming together and sort of rebranding enough to make something cool enough for people to sort of stay around in Christianity for a little bit longer. I might be crazy enough to think that in the 2020s, God wants to do something new. That God is calling his people back to pray. Because when he calls his people to pray, he's ready to do a new thing. And I wonder, you know, that story of Jesus coming in and turning over tables. I wonder what tables Jesus would want to turn in our church. That story is one of the few stories we see in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's only a handful of stories. One of them is the feeding of the 5,000. Another one is the death of Jesus. Another one is the resurrection of Jesus. But this is one of the few stories that finds itself in every single Gospel. You know, we don't even have the birth of Jesus in every Gospel, or the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This story for the Gospel writers held enough weight to be put in every single Gospel. I wonder why that is. It's a pretty interesting story. Why was Jesus so angry? Sort of seems like he snaps all of a sudden and just starts kicking stuff over, you know, like he has a, a bit of a, a breakdown moment. But we know that this was kind of premeditated. Jesus had been in this temple many times before, at least once every year of his life, but likely more than that. We know from this story that just a couple of verses above where we read that he was in there earlier, uh, a couple of days before. And so he'd been in that place a few times, but for, for whatever reason, this particular moment, he felt like flipping tables. And we know that because John's story of, of this has Jesus sitting down and making a whip, which I love this detail because, like, I don't know how long it takes to make a whip, but, like, I imagine it takes a little while. He's sitting down, and I imagine the disciples coming up to him and just asking, you know, what are you, what are you doing there, Jesus? What are you making, you know? A little bit of art and craft. I imagine Simon, he's a zealot. He was part of, before he became a follower of Jesus, he was part of this, like, religious cell group, this terrorist group that they sort of train their whole life to do guerrilla warfare on the Roman army and to ass assassinate people and, you know, all this stuff. I imagine Simon going, I know what that is. That's a whip, man. This is about to get real. Like, this is what I'm in for. 
I just think that's a crazy image of Jesus, right? Walking into a temple, just whoosh, flipping tables. Why was he so angry? A lot of people think that, you know, they read this story and they think it's about like the mixing of church and business. Have you heard that, that idea around that like you shouldn't be selling stuff in church? And maybe it holds weight for some of that, but I think it goes beyond that. We got an image here, um, if you can throw it up, um, of the temple. Now, this is, this is the temple in Jerusalem. So if you were a Jew, this is the place that you would come and make sacrifices. You might live 100 kilometers away. You would have a synagogue in your town, probably, where you'd go and hear the scriptures. But you would, from time to time, in different festivals, you would come and you would travel to Jerusalem, all these different pilgrims coming. You might travel for three days or 10 days. And um, instead of bringing your goat with you that you have to sacrifice or your dove, um, some savvy business people set up in the temple courts uh, a way to buy your sacrifices so that you could go in and, and make your sacrifices for the sins you've done or different atonement things. And there was a very complex system of different sacrifices for different things. And a lot of people take this and go, well, maybe it was about, you know, they're, they're not like committed enough to the sacrifice. You know, they didn't bring their goat from home. They traveled 10 days, but they didn't bring the stuff. They were just sort of going the easy way out. And maybe there's some weight to that. But this here, the Gentiles court, this is where all these money changers are set, set up. In the middle of the temple, they've got the Holy of Holies. This is the place where God's present, presence dwells. And then the court of Israel was like men could go in there. And then there's the court of women. This is where all the women hang out. And then the Gentiles court in the outer part of the temple. This is where you would go and buy your goats. So when we come to this verse, you can throw this verse back on if you would, M. Let's just read it again. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? It's a very interesting little thing to tack on to this moment. If he's just talking about mixing business, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, this is the Gentiles' court. A Gentile was anyone who was not born as a Jew, not born in, as like ethnically Jew. And so you imagine you're a Gentile and there's something that's happened in you, something that you've heard about the God of Israel that has caused you to travel to the capital of this other race, You've come maybe from a different country. I don't know how far you've traveled, but there's something in your life that's driven you towards seeking out if this God is real. And you come, you arrive in this foreign city, and you come into the temple, the place where the Holy of Holies is, the place where the presence of this so-called God lives, and you come in to pray. You come into the only place that you're allowed to pray, and you bend down, and you're crying out to God, and you're trying to connect with the God. Are you real? And then there's a goat next to you, and it's like, bleh! And people are selling doves, and there's like lots of stuff going on, and there's all this noise. You see, Jesus was angry, not because people were selling stuff, 
but because the selling stuff got in the way of other people connecting with him. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is the idea that through lots of prayer, it's been haunting me for so long, that the thing that God is calling us into in this next year is to be a house of prayer for all. A house of prayer for all. This is the thing that will continue to frame what we do and frame how we do it this year because I am convinced that new strategy or buildings or cool programs will not help what God wants to do. We are to become a house of the presence of God, a house of prayer for all. Interesting phrase. Jesus calls the temple his house. Now, in, uh, since Jesus died and rose again, we don't have a temple anymore. We don't go to the temple. There is a temple in Jerusalem still, but we don't go there. We are the temple. We become the body of Christ. Paul talks about this a lot, that we are the temple of God. And so when Jesus is talking about the house of prayer, the temple, he's talking about his church, his people. And so we become the house that he's talking about. The church is not an organization. It's not a registered non-for-profit. Well, it is, but it's not just that. It's not a place where you come and receive a goods and service. That's why we very intentionally call these Sunday morning gatherings gatherings and not services because it's not something that you receive a service from some like entity. No, the church is the people and we gather together. That's what we're doing here. Um, the church is not a building. This is why we very intentionally call this place the clam and not greenhouse church because we know that it speaks something theologically. That subtly, if we call this thing greenhouse church, you drive past the church or I'll meet you at the church. That's not the church. The church is the people, and we gather together. That's why we call it the clam. Um, so I, I think a better word for house is actually household. And often you can translate that, that when you see that in the Scriptures, house. Maybe a better way to translate is household, because the building is to the church what a house is to a family. Right? It just houses what's really going on. We are the family of God. We are a house of prayer. A house of of prayer. My working definition for prayer, and we're going to talk about this a lot more this year, is the relational space between God and me. We often think about prayer as just the, the things that I come and ask God for, a list of things that I like try and pray, I get distracted after a couple of minutes and then I'm done. But prayer is the relational space between God and I. And the one thing that Jesus' disciples asked Jesus to teach them was not leadership principles. It was not how to cast out demons, how to heal people, how to teach and preach. The only thing we ever have recorded of the disciples coming to ask Jesus to teach them was how to pray. Because there's something that they saw in his life that they, they, they thought that was the source of what everything they did. We've been a house of prayer. Spiritual authority always comes from our spiritual intimacy. If we want to do anything of worth in the spiritual realm. It comes from our relational space. That's John 15. A house of prayer for all. This is the court of Gentile stuff. Now, every year when we begin to plan for the coming year, our lead team gets together and over a retreat and some other times, we begin to plan out and 
sort of brainstorm and pray about what we sense God calling us into. We always use the same method of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, which we find that in Ephesians chapter 4, because in Ephesians 4, it tells us that the church is to be um, built into maturity in love, and the, re- and the way God does that is through apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. This is the way that the church wants, that he wants his church to operate. The, the apostolic takes us forward, takes us to innovative new places, translates church to new environments and people and places. The prophets draw us back to relationship with God, back to our covenant with God, back to the, the core of our spirituality, listening for what God is saying to us right now and right here. The evangelists take us outward and tell the story. They're the bold people. They invite other people in. They're the people that are always looking for those who are lost, who are looking for a way, looking for something, searching for something. The shepherds draw us in. Their uh, main concern is around community and relational health and making sure that people are cared for. And the teachers keep us grounded in Scripture and tradition. And so when the church is operating at its best, it's operating in all those five things. It's apostolic, it's moving forward, it's prophetic, it's listening to what God's saying now, it's evangelistic, it's reaching out, it's shepherding, it's, it's building community and relational health, and it's teaching us, keeping us grounded in Scripture and tradition. And here's the thing. Every year, um, well, this last year particularly, we rated each of those things. How's our church doing in the apostolic? How's our church doing in the prophetic? And, um, you know, my particular giftings are in the apostolic and the teaching. And so the thing is, when you start something new, I'm sure it's the same with a business, but with a church, you look out and it really looks like you. It matches, you know, some of your giftings, but it matches your, your bad parts as well. And um, our church is pretty good at th- that stuff, like the, the mix between tradition and progress and trying new things, but keeping us grounded in the ancient way of Scripture. Um, but the place that always gets graded the lowest every single time we do it is the evangelistic, because that's kind of the lowest in me. And I think God is calling us into a healthier, fuller expression of who he wants us to be. And part of that is releasing the evangelists. You know, this House of Prayer for All is a call back to the prophetic. We've been looking at that last year. We did the Ghost series. We want to become a people of the presence of God. We want to see all the Jesus stuff. You know, we want to have silent prayer, and we want to have rhythms and community and teaching, but we also want to see deliverance and healing and God work in miraculous way and prophetic words. We want to see all the, all the Jesus stuff, and that's like the House of Prayer. But the House of Prayer isn't just for us. It's for all. It's the Court of Gentile stuff that we, are, we have to continue to create space for other people, to have a heart for those that are actually searching for something that we know and we have. A house of prayer for all. So I just want to share, just really briefly, a few initiatives in each of these areas as we look towards this year and look towards who we're becoming. Over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to unpack our vision statement again um, and, and continue to teach on that, on being, um, following the way of Jesus into the restoration of our neighborhoods. But this overarching theme is kind of nailing down on some of that, that we would be a house of prayer for all. So the first thing, a house. We um, have been talking about this for a little while, but we've been talking about the need for us to grow from a church plant that's a couple of years old into a church. And part of that is some governance changes that we need to make and that we um, are really excited to make, actually. And so in a couple of weeks, at our fourth birthday, 
on March 12th, um, we're actually going to invite people to become members of the church. Now, we haven't had this before. Um, membership is a pretty old school term. Some of you might be familiar with that. Some of you may not. Um, and some of you probably have varying degrees of like love towards that term or hate towards it. Um, and that's okay. Um, but this is really f- for us, helping us transition to a church that's really centered on, on me, on Mel and I. Um, because actually, in all honesty, I have a lot of power and I could take this thing in some wrong ways if, if I was allowed to, you know, and if my sinful part got its hold. Um, and a way of sharing power and a way of changing us from just being led by one person. We want to we absolutely still allow our leaders to lead, but to actually share this thing together, to say that we're in this together and that we discern the will of God together. Now, churches uh, can tend towards two extremes, um, and you may have been churches, in churches like this. One church can be uh, led by a kind of a spiritual dictatorship where one person makes all all, all the decisions, right? And honestly, that's what our church has sort of been like in, in reality. We have a leadership team, but like in the structure of things, I could make a lot of decisions. Um, the other one is kind of spiritual democracy where we talk about membership and you might think of membership and go, this is just like a church led by committee and nothing ever good comes out of committee. Um, we want to find the balance of that. We don't want to be a spiritual democracy. That's not what membership's about. We want to be a theocracy. We are... A people of God, a community of God, seeking to discern together through leadership, through a process of membership, in what God's telling us to do. That's what the membership's about. It's not about a committee of people deciding certain things, the color of the carpet or whatever it is. It's about on the key things that we discern the will of God together through prayer, through discernment, through discussion. Does that kind of make sense? So um, we're going to talk a lot about that. I'm going to receive a, um, send out a FAQ around our membership. Um, But we're going to lean into that in March 12th, on March 12th. I could say more, but I'll just leave it there. And of course, I just want to say, we will love and serve everyone, regardless of whether they become a member or not. Um, I will continue to pastor people. I will continue to uh, lead people. We'll continue to create space for people. Um, But one one of the key reasons for me that has got me around this membership thing is that I know that at some point I'm going to face Jesus and I need to give an account for the people that I had spiritual authority for. And in that sense, membership is really theological. Because for you to be pastored, for you, for you to come into spiritual authority, it actually has to be invited by you. Like, I can't put that on you. And in kind of our day and age, you know, people go to any church and come every couple of weeks. And, you know, there's a lot of people on the fringe of our church. Um, and that's great. We'll continue to create space for that. But I need to know as a pastor, who I have spiritual authority for, who, who I'm going to give account to Jesus for. Because I know it's not everyone, right? Because people haven't invited that. But part of membership is saying, no, like I'm, I'm committed to this place. I'm putting roots down. This is my spiritual family. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Cool. Um, a house of prayer. Now, this is the heart of this whole talk and year, that we would be continually developing that relational space between God and us. Um, I'm going to be teaching, we're going to be teaching through this more in our Lent series and lead up to Easter. We're going to have a, um, a prayer team 
begin on Sundays where you're going to have access to have prayer after every gathering if you want. Uh, we're going to have some people around. We want to continue to build that culture of listening for God, praying for one another, that we would be a house of prayer in our Sunday gatherings. We were, um, just this last uh, couple of days, um, Hillsong ran a, like a young adults retreat in here. And I was here on Friday night, and um, Carmen has been here most of the time. She's been, Carmen is our clam coordinator, by the way. And you might not see her do the work much, but um, she has really been uh, putting a lot of work into making this space a gift for our neighborhood, and she's been doing awesome. So why don't we thank Carmen, because she's awesome. All that, all that to say, all that to say, um, I heard one of the most Pentecostal things I've ever heard uh, when I came, uh, which is great. We love our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. We get so much from that stream. Um, but someone came in, and they said, this space has been pre-oiled, pre, pre-oiled. And what they're really trying to say, the worship leader said it as well, that, that we walk into this place, the presence of Jesus has already been here. And I, I heard that time and time again. Even I was, um, I was here on Wednesday and some ambulance drivers rocked up. And I was like, what's going on here? Um, they rocked up because they're, they're hiring this space tomorrow for a funeral. And to see them come in and go, oh, man, there's something about this place. And it's, you know, it's cool. It's got the white and the green, you know, like it's, you know, and weird and clammy and all that stuff. But it's more than that, that this place, this physical space, I really believe in the theology of the, like the physical space. Um, the Celtic Christians used to call it thin spaces. And when you stack time and time again people coming and praying and worshipping and, and the words taught and there's community, and that's not just happened within our church, that's happened over generations of people, that, of Christians that have used this space in this building. There is something about that that stacks on itself. And uh, we want to continue to be a house of prayer, not just about the building but the people, that we would carry the presence of God. And kind of the pinnacle thing that we're doing this year that becomes the kind of pinnacle event for this is that we're going to have 24 hours of uninterrupted prayer in the lead up over the Pentecost weekend, which is in May, and we're going to cap it off with a Holy Spirit night. Uh, We're going to partner with um, 24-7 Prayer, which is a movement that's been globally around the world. We're going to turn some of these spaces into prayer spaces, hyper-creative, butcher's paper and art and different things to do, different ways to engage you. And you can sign up for a slot to pray and the goal is for 24 hours, we're going to have uninterrupted prayer. Um, and I think this will stretch us and push us as, as a people. Um, but I'm really excited about this. And, and particularly for the 3, 3 a.m. time slot, whoever gets that, that's the most spiritual spot. Um, but I really do believe that there's, there's a, we're going to talk about this more. But the 24-7 prayer movement has seen some incredible stuff across the globe. And... I think this will kick off a new era for our church as becoming a people of prayer. So uh, we'll talk about that more, but I'm very excited about that. So a house of prayer, are you still with me? I'm going to land it in a second. House of prayer for all. Now, um, since we've planted this church, uh, we have really felt a call to be a church planting church. We've been, felt a call to become what our association calls a resource church. There are different models of church. But a resource church is a church that is designed to be strong, that's designed to be working really well and healthy, um, not just to grow itself up, not just to get bigger, 
and, you know, build a mega church or whatever, but to really be a gift to the kingdom across, um, you know, our region and our country and our world. Um, and part of that is a commitment to church planting. We are a church plant. We're four years old. Uh, we've helped plant other churches, but we want to continue to make steps. Um, we're not planting church in the next couple of months or anything, don't worry, but we are continuing to make steps towards becoming a church planting church, what we've really had on our heart um, this whole time. And so part of that is this year we're hoping to install a church plant apprentice, someone that can come on staff and really embed in for probably two years, kind of get the culture, learn from us, and then we can send them out eventually with strength of people and money, and we can really make our first kind of our own church plant a really strong one. So um, I would love for you to join us in prayer in that and just you know, there's a bunch of things that need to align and cash and money and the right people and all that sort of stuff, but we are really excited about that. Um, the other thing that we want to do is we want to continue to create space for people who are exploring. Um, I've been talking to Sandy this week about um, potentially doing another Alpha uh, later in the year as we create space. Alpha is a great space for people that are exploring Christianity, um, asking the big questions of faith, and I know we've all got people in our lives that are, that are like that, whether we know it or not. And so uh, we will be looking at that later in the year. And the last one is that we know at some point we're going to have to multiply our gatherings. Um, and we are probably fairly soon going to add something, and we want to join him. Oh, there we go. We're back. A house of prayer for all people. There have been... Two really significant prophetic words spoken over us in the last couple of months as a church. One was by a guy called Andy Bollum, who some of you might know. He's a church planter in Townsville. He's part of a little pastor's group that I am part of. And um, last year, in the last couple of months of last year, we're at Bluey's Beach. We always get together and we pray and we hang out. And one thing we always do is we get someone in a chair in the middle and uh, we each prophesy over them, pray for them, and then they share their story a little bit. Um, and Andy, while I was in the, in the prayer chair, he gave this prophetic word of, he said he saw the clam. He's never been here, but he saw the clam, and there was a fire on top of it. And he said, don't worry, it's not a bad fire. It's like a, like a Holy Spirit fire, kind of like the you know, burning bush, bush kind of vibe or the pillar of fire for the Israelites or the fire at Pentecost. And he said there was something happening in the people of Greenhouse but it wasn't just contained there, but it was going out. And it was creating pockets of other little fires around the place. And then, at our last Holy Spirit night, you might have been here, um, Elizabeth uh, Ward, who's a great friend of our church, um, wonderful, wonderful lady, she came up uh, at the end of that and shared a prophetic word that she felt like she, she saw and she got around. She said she saw the clam. She said she saw the phrase, a tsunami is coming. And she's like, oh no, like another flood. Great. Uh, we love floods. And she said it wasn't a bad tsunami. It wasn't coming from the ocean or from the lake, but it was coming from, from the clam, from the people. And she said um, the interesting thing about the tsunami was it was going out and it was creating pockets down the coast in other places. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Isn't that like eerily similar to the word that we got from Andy not that long ago? And I love that, I think that encapsulates this kind of idea for me, a house of prayer for all, that we would be a house, a, a local people, just ordinary people committed to a place, committed to this people, committed to this vision, doing life together, making room for God, practicing the way of Jesus, 
gathering. It would be a house kind of committed to locality of prayer, of the fire of God, the tsunami of God, if you want to use those images, that God is not an entity to control. His presence or power isn't controlled by our words or what we do. We just make room for him, but for all, that we would continue to welcome in and send out. And that's kind of who we sense God's calling us to be. Not just playing church. I'm not interested in that. Not just coming coming here every couple of weeks. Not just content with, like, managing the decline of Christianity. But we really would be committed to the presence of God. Whenever God is ready to do new things, He sets His people to pray. And I wonder if God's been tugging on your soul at all around that today. And maybe, maybe you might like have some objection to that and say, I, I'm, not, I'm not like the prayer type of person. Like I'm not the spiritual person. I'm not, I'm not Alyssa Day. Um, you know, like, and, but the thing is, God doesn't want anyone to be Alyssa except for Alyssa. He's calling you to be you. We've been listening to this podcast in our podcast club and there was a line there that said, God can only ever bless you where you are. God can only ever bless you where you are. And as we continue to be and become a people of prayer, that we would like cultivate this relational space between God and us, that we would become more than just like habitual Christians or more than just people thinking about it or more than people just sprinkling Jesus on the side, that we would like habituate this ability to draw close to God, that God would bless you where you are, not where you want to be, not where you think he thinks you should be, but exactly where you are who you are in your life, in your life stage, in your house, in your job, with your stuff. The thing is, you can't have a secondhand spirituality. You cannot, no matter how hard you try, live off my spirituality. I don't have enough for you. You have to go to God for yourself if you're ever going to grow. Prayer is the relational space between you and God. So the worship team can come up, but I just want to have a few moments of silence. And I wonder, as we sit here and as we make room for God, whether you're one of the people in our church to say, no, I'm, I'm actually up for this. I don't know what it looks like but I'm actually up for a journey of stepping in closer to God. There's a great quote by John Tyson. He says, he says, God comes where he's wanted. God comes where he's wanted. I've heard someone say before, God's a perfect gentleman. He won't come unless he's asked. He so values our free will. And I wonder if there's people in our church that say, yeah, I want God. I'm up for this, for creating a house of the presence of God. And maybe just in this silence as we close our eyes, that maybe you might want to do something that signifies that, to being open to the presence of God. To say, I want God. You might want to get on your knees if you can, or you might want to stand. And there might just be five or six or seven of us. 
But that phrase, God comes where he's wanted, is powerful because the more people that want him, of course he's going to come. Of course he's going to come. Of course he's going to come. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be present in this place. We say that ancient prayer that the church has been praying for so long. Come, Holy Spirit. God, I don't want to play church. I don't want to put on a good show. I don't want to just get by. I want to be part of something where we see you at work in our own lives and the depths of our own souls and our own attachments and trauma and stuff we've got to work through, but within our community as well, with people coming to know you, people finding you for the first time, that there would be um, healing in every facet, emotional and mental and physical, spiritual. God, that we would see the enemy flee. We would actually see the demonic leave people the ways in which you've construed, uh, the enemy has construed people and lied to them. We want to see that break. We want to see people find genuine community and life and spiritual family. We want to see people come to know you in a new light, to bring healing from past church hurt or whatever it is, that we would be freed to love you and love people more wholly, that we would become people of love that we would begin to see the restoration corridor that we've so dreamed about of houses and businesses and other churches and streets and homes and relationships and people and addictions, all this stuff to bring shalom and healing and wholeness. But more than all that stuff, we just want you. I just want you. So I just ask for more of you. You come where you where you're wanted. And so we just declare that we want you.